Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another preseason edition of The Deciding Point, where we'll be breaking down our top 10 Division I men's and women's teams heading into the 2024 season. Of course, if you have missed any of our previous episodes, it's real simple, folks. All you got to do is scroll down on your Great Shot Podcast feed. You can also find all of our episodes. So it's housed on our website, CrackedRackets.com. We post them on social media as well. So if you haven't already, be sure to catch up on all of the episodes we've recorded thus far. On today's show, we get into our second preseason men's preview podcast. Now, you'll notice that we have this school tied for eighth in Arizona. If you want to hear the reasoning for that ranking at the moment, all you got to do is hear our tied for eighth Columbia podcast. You can also hear our thinking behind these preseason rankings by listening to our original college tennis preview preview show. That said, again, the agenda stays the same on each of these podcasts. What we want to do is recap each of these teams' 2023 seasons. We want to talk about what the roster looks like in 2024, who had the breakout summers, breakout falls that impact how we think about them heading into the spring. What are each team's most valuable points in their singles lineup? What do the ceiling, floor, and schedule look like? And so much more. Again, I'm going to shorten these intros as we progress next week. But for now, just wanted to give all of you listeners a run down as I know we have picked up a few new ones over the course of the year. With that said, we're ready to get into previewing our tied for eighth preseason team heading into the 2024 Division I men's tennis season. Of course, that team is the Arizona Wildcats. And joining me to help break down Arizona is the man who will join me on each and every one of these men's preview podcasts. A man you all know best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks Formula Predictions Never far from the listed UTR, a lean, mean Michigan Wolverine, the professor, and a man who is never dismayed, even when his flight gets delayed. It's our dear friend, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the program. You ready to talk Arizona Wildcats? I'm ready to talk Arizona Wildcats, Gruskin. It is an exciting team for us to discuss, and there are many reasons for that. As we get into their 2023 recap, I want to talk more broadly first, and we don't have an opening tangent for you listeners, as you can tell. So my opening tangent, then, is going to be focused on the history of this Arizona men's tennis program, what they've accomplished in the tenure of head coach Clancy Shield. It's just worth keeping in mind that this Arizona program right now is really achieving things it had never achieved prior to the arrival of Coach Shields last season. They reached the round of 16, knocked out in one of my favorite matches of the round, a 4-2 thriller with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, again, a round of 16 loss to Ohio State, even on the surface, nothing to bat an eye at. They were last year's NCAA finalists, but to go to Columbus and play the match that they did, it's indicative of what this group has accomplished, not just this season, uh, this past season, excuse me, but again, 
they're in the midst of an unprecedented three-year run. That NCAA Sweet 16 they made last year, it's just the second in program history. And by the way, the first time they did it was back in 2021 when a bunch of guys on the roster this season, guys like Herman Hoyer, all guys like Gustav Strom, you know, they were all freshmen in that season. And so this really is, dare I say, the once-in-a-generation group for this Arizona men's Wildcats program. And, you know, again, you look at last season, Wildcats go 23-7 and overall on the year. You look at what they were able to do in conference play, 6-2 and overall conference record. Those two losses coming, 4-3 uh, to Utah in both regular season and the conference tournament, as well as a 4-3 loss at Stanford. So, again, everyone this team played last year got the best of the Wildcats. And it's just worth noting... You know, this team very much reflects the personality of their coach. This is a team you have to claw off the court to beat. This is a team that's going to fight you not just physically. They're going to fight you mentally in the best way college tennis matches allow that fight to be fought each and every match that they play. And, you know, again, this is a group last year that had a guy in Colton Smith who had a really promising freshman season. He certainly made a leap as a sophomore qualifying for the NCAA tournament. This is a group last year that, again, had a rock-solid five uh, top three in Jonas Sieverts, in Gustav Strom. Something for them to lean on as guys like Herman Hoyerall, who is old but finally healthy, was able to work his way through a full season. Guys like Jay Friend, Nick Lagai of uh, participating and contributing at the bottom of the lineup, they were able to work their way in as well. All of that context in mind, Chris. Again, 23 and 7 overall for the Wildcats, 6 and 2 in the regular season play, 4 3 loss to Utah in the conference tournament, NCAA round of 16. How would you rank their 2023? Overperformance, underperformance, or just about right? I'm actually going to lean underperform here. I mean, wow. we've, you know, two years ago, you know, we had the, the great run beating Michigan and Kentucky at Kentucky in the NCAA tournament to move on. Then a 21 and seven year and a 23 and seven year, but nothing spectacular. Look, they beat, you know, they, I'll put it this way. They only had one of all the teams that were sort of in their class or better teams that they're either battling with or, or it's a step up to beat them. The only win they got out of that group last year to me was USC you know, a team that I would say they're on par with, that was the win. But on the loss side, they lost to a team that is on par with them, Utah, twice. They lost to an Auburn team that they're better than. They just did, and they lost to a Stanford team that they were on par with. So they came out on the losing end of those matches where they should have been, you know, 50-50 matches. And I just kind of expected a little more. And because of what they did, you know, it put them down to where, yeah, unfortunately for them, they had to make the trip to Columbus for that, you know, for that round of 16 NCAA tournament uh, match where had they been able to, you know, do their take care of business during the regular season, it would have been, you know, instead of being a, whatever that was three fourteen, I'm not even sure what seed, you know, they'd have been a little higher in more like a, 7-10 type match and a shot to really win and make it into the into the final eight. Well, 7-10 was Michigan-USC. So literally, yeah. had they righted a couple rungs in the Pac-12, that could have been their spot. I would push back. I don't know how you can call the best 
season and program history and underperformance. That's why I wanted to explain that context. Those 23 wins the Wildcats racked up last season, it's the most in program history. It's also worth noting they were undefeated at home, Chris, 14-0 overall on the year. And, you know, after Oklahoma State beat Florida, there was a little buzz heading into that NCAA round of 32 match. But the Wildcats won that 4-0 in like under two hours. They were so impressive in those first two rounds of the tournament. And that speaks to, again, this team's eye on the prize. Again, last year, seven total losses. Six of those losses, Chris, 4-2 or closer. And three of those losses were 4-3 losses, the two 4-3s to Utah, who just seemed to have their number last year. And, you know, again, I think when you look back at this team, Certainly, I looked at some things statistically, and in those matches that they lost, the seven losses, they only got two wins at the number six spot. Both of them were by Jay Friend, who by the end of the year obviously was playing higher than the number six position, and maybe that speaks to something we have to look at for them next year. But here's the thing. Again, yes, they lose to Zeverts, who was the Pac-12 Player of the Year. Was playing, by the way, first Arizona Wildcat to be named that coming off of last season. He played one and two in their singles lineup the other five are back, and like, there's certainly some urgency to this season, given that you know Strom's a senior, Hoyerall's a senior, and this is the group that have done all of these things together. Was the upside higher than they ultimately accomplished last year? Maybe, like, sir, this is a team that should have been flir- like that was should have been flirting with the quarterfinals. But guess what? They flirted with it real hard, Chris. They were on the precipice of maybe knocking off Ohio State last year, and if they win just that one match, or if they beat a Utah four three, or if they beat a Stanford four three, like I don't know how we don't ultimately see this as an overperformance for Arizona last year. They were not one of our preseason top eight teams. I think they got things just right in 2023. Final word on this can go to you. Did yeah, I, I think you? I just, I, well, I don't want people to think that I'm coming down hard on them. I'm coming, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of the way I think the guys, uh, you know, in Arizona would look at it. And I frankly think, you know, they, after having the two years they'd had prior, they wanted more. And I think they were, I honestly, I think they were better than where they ended up in a super tough draw going to Ohio State you know, and who they pushed to the brink in that match. But yeah, I just kind of, I expected more. I know those guys expected more and wanted more. And that, that's kind of why I say that. No, it was obviously, it's a great year. It's two years in a row, only seven losses, uh, more wins last year than the year before. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're heading in the right direction. And like you said, with, with some of the guys that are now in their final year, this is, this is going to be the year that's, uh, that's make it or break it for them, I think. And it's also worth noting they went one and three in the doubles point in their final four losses, those four threes, Stanford, Utah, and then uh, the four two with Ohio State. But yeah, that that is a fair assumption. And that's why I think I'm so bullish on this team, maybe more so than any other team. And by the way, I just will establish this here at the start. You guys know I like to offer you the thoughts of my younger brother, Nicholas Gruskin, who I think has become one of the foremost experts in college tennis. This is his team in 2024. He is all in on the Arizona Wildcats. And, you know, again, they didn't pull off the Montez, Rodash, Von der Schulenberg win in Columbus, but to Nick Gruskin's eye, to have that sort of performance in that environment, you have passed some sort of test. And again, they lose a huge contributor 
in Jonas Sievert. Sievert has been excellent, not just last season, but throughout the course of his Arizona career. Again, that institutional thread connecting, dare I say, the leadership of 2021 with the leadership we saw and the culture we saw in 2023, getting everyone to buy in. But I mean, again, everyone else is back. And you look for Colton Smith, who breakout uh, fall is probably unfair. And I bet if you ask Colton Smith, he'd actually be pretty disappointed with his fall, given most of his winning happened in the consolations of uh, significant fall Nats and All-American events. But he did a lot of winning, 16-4 and four overall in the fall. He's your preseason number five player in the country. You had sophomore Jay Friend quarterfinals of the ITA All-Americans, certainly a breakout for the sophomore 11-5. and five. He's at 34 Strom, the senior, at 63. Those are your three ranked uh, Arizona Wildcats coming out of the fall in singles. But again, those three are back. Hoyerall is back. For what it's worth, Lagayev, after some ups and downs, no doubts, last season, he is back as a fifth year and the man out of Ontario, Canada. For what it's worth, the formal record last season, 17-9 and in singles, 7-3 and in dual match doubles. Again, not exceptional, but not a bad number by any stretch of the imagination either. The core of this crew is back, Chris Halioris. How are you feeling about the roster? Yeah, I feel good. I mean, it's it, again, it's going to be like a lot of the teams we talk about in this range. Uh, I think a really solid five and a real battle for who's playing six. But But the good news is you know, they've probably got three guys in there, uh, you know, and maybe more if somebody steps up that are battling for that six spot. So they're deep. They've got plenty of depth and it's not like they're, they're playing chumps at the six spot. They've got a good battle there, but yeah, they're, they're, and I say solid five putting, you know, Lagayev at that five spot, as you mentioned, the fifth year, a lot of experience there. He's been around for everything this team's been through. Uh, I think it's a, I mean, it's a very solid, solid lineup. And uh, like some, my, my questions are going to be what we see at the top and not, not what we see, you know, personnel wise, but result wise uh, in, in the top three. And if they can, if they can come out well there, I, they're going to be really good. Yeah. And again, looking at the results, the order of that top three, as we kind of look at the fall, I know I already mentioned the rankings, but the question is, what will the order of that top five look like? Again, given those five returners, I think Lagayev probably, the presumption is he's the fifth of that group right now. And the reason you'd make that presumption is, you know, again, Jay Friend had a massive fall. You look for what he did in All-American qualifying, gets wins over Graziani, uh, Luke Koenig, Liam Kral on his way to the main draw. From there, you look for Jay Friend, wins over uh, Nikola Slavic, Siam Waldi before getting knocked out in three sets by Spaziri. That's top two caliber stuff. And, you know, again, the freshman making a leap forward, it's something that has to happen given the absence of Jonas Sieverts. Everyone's going to have to raise their level a little bit throughout the course of the year. And, you know, again, this is a Jay Friend, too, for those that don't know, the sophomore out of Tokyo, Japan. He had a really good season as a freshman for the Wildcats, 25-9 and overall in singles, 16-6 and in dual match play. That was the third best on the team. They're already, <clears throat> excuse me, going to be counting on him moving forward. But 
you know, again, after the fall that he has had, you know, again, for what it's worth, Colton Smith's All-American, again, first-round loss to J.J. Tracy, but then wins over Von der Schulenberg, Westfall, Siepel, Wallen, and Schlageter. So let's be clear, he performed the part there as well. Is that your top two? DeStrom, who's been a staple of the top three, though he did slide to three last year, but a staple of it through his first three seasons. Is he back in that three spot again? The weapons of Hoyerall, when we last saw him, he was on the precipice of providing James Trotter his only dual match defeat of the 2023 season, six all in the third when that match ended. Like, let's just be clear. This is a very, very good top four, Chris. Even like a top four you want to play the hypothetical game with Stanford, you can't even compare the experience. Like That's why Arizona just feels primed to win that Pac-12 regular season title because if you're not ready for that top four, Chris, and no disrespect to Nick Lagayev at five, again, the the other most experienced returner, but that top four is really, really good. Yeah, they are. And I think the interesting thing to me, and you talked about it, the, it, the wild card and all of that to me, is Gustav Strom. I don't, you know, his freshman year, probably his best year. Look, he's not a guy with a ton of weapons. He's going to grind you to death. And from my perspective, the the lower they can play him in the lineup, the better and keep him away from guys with big, huge weapons that can get him off the court. If you get him into a grind battle, he's not he's not going to lose a lot of those matches. So so yeah, I'm with you. It's obviously it's Colton Smith at one. I like Friend at two. With the I mean, he's had a great fall. Hoyerall's got more weapons. Can they justify him at three? I don't know. Strom's probably the three. Hoyerall four. But but if we can at least keep Strom down at three, I I think I like their chances. But he's the guy that they've really got to get going to get this team going. Tough All-American for Hoyer, all losses to Connell and Sheldon, respectively. But yeah, Strom, by the way, uh, a first-round loss to Alvarez of Oklahoma. He then beats Iela in his first consolation match. I think that was the only consolation match that he played. I mean, you mentioned his backhand still remains a thing of beauty. And again, he is in on the grind. He also in Columbus three-set loss to J.J. Tracy, what was a really fun match where he comes back, wins that second set from a set down. By the way, Battle of the Bay was probably the best result for Hoyer all this spring. He beats Schlageter. He beats Rulon. Uh, he beats Ozan Barris in three sets as well, by the way. How about that? That can't be correct because I thought Hoyer all went on. Uh, Barris won the Battle of the Bay, so that's an error. But I believe Barris won that match in three sets for what it's worth. Uh, Colton Smith there wins over Brunkow, Gorsny, Koenig, you know, Again, there's a lot to know about, uh, there's a lot known, excuse me, about this top four. And, you know, by the way, Lagayev, decent fall, pretty good uh, in their first event, the Wildcat invite, beating players he should be beating, but, you know, didn't have a signature victory in the fall. The question is, again, five, six, how strong can the Wildcats be there? And looking at the fall results, Chris, and what was accomplished in the summer, I do think that is an open question. We haven't talked about the rest of the roster, but, you know, again, guys who are also coming back, Iñaki Cabrera, Belo, Casper Christensen, who has got had a really good Wildcat invite and has, I think, gotten the most wins of the bunch in the fall. We mentioned Lagayev, Eric Padgams uh, coming back, Dominique Roland coming back. You also bring in freshman in Sasha Rosine, Cole Stelz. He's right, by the way. Cole is? 
Yes. Uh, see, this is why we have you on the show, Chris. What of that group has stood out to you? What are you looking at five, six? Because ultimately, right, that defines the ceiling of this team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, as you stated, I think Lagayev is the six. And I mean, or is the five. And I, I'm super comfortable. You mentioned the, the Gamecock rank plus one that he had. You know, mm-hmm. look, you're talking a five, a five guy here with wins over Staheli, who's a top four at NC State. Moreno, who's a top two at Auburn. Zhang, who's a top three at Duke, and then a loss to, to you know, the other, to Zeng from Columbia. I mean, you, you can't, that, that's a great tournament for him. I He's agree. solid in that five. And I do, I think it's a battle between Christensen, Bello, and Rosen, the freshman, for for that last, uh, that last spot in the lineup. And with, you know, I'd like to, you know, a, a, you know, a prototypical six to me is a guy like Bello, a Spanish grinder. Uh, but but from a fall perspective, Christensen had the best fall. Yeah. You mentioned it. He definitely he definitely played the best in the fall. Probably the leader in the clubhouse coming in. But uh, you know we'll see what it looks like come come January. But I think those are the three guys probably the biggest competitors for that last spot. Rosen career high two forty eight in the ITF junior rankings, which better than I ever did. But again, not. A Dietrich, not some of these other blue, blue chip freshmen you bring in. And, you know, again, you know, head coach Clancy Shield is going to get the most out of this Arizona Wildcat roster. This team is always, in terms of overperformance or underperformance, they are always overperforming expectation over this last three year run. But, yeah, you, you definitely start to feel some inexperience. That's the word I'm going to use at the bottom of that lineup. And, I guess the question when you look at the roster is, is the top four so good? Is that top five so solid that, you know, to have a spot where I think Coach Shields would probably be honest and say, yeah, it's going to take us a couple months to work our number six singles position along. I guess, is that top four, top five that good, Chris Halliors? Where are you looking in that roster for a most valuable point? Yeah, I mean... I have to say, for me, it's going to be a, a a combination of whoever's at six and Strom. Like I, I we've got to get back to the Strom that was, you know, was just lights out freshman year. He's got to be, and I'm kind of hoping for their sake, they're able to play him at three because the other because Jay Friend is holding up at two and winning. Strom's gonna if Strom can play three, he can do well. I think those are the two key points for them. Uh, Colton Smith is going to be fine at one, but I'll tell you the other thing I think that that I is a big pickup for them is I think Rosen is a good doubles player, and I think they're going to have better, you know, better doubles hopefully this year. Which you know we don't get to talk about that a lot, but that's obviously a big point. And if they can with what they've got in the top four. If they can, if they can snag most of their doubles points, uh, and they only have to split singles, that's uh, that's going to be that's going to be a good thing for them. It's a very astute point for you to make, and I didn't mention this earlier, but you look at the preseason doubles rankings, and a lot of this is a byproduct of how much did you play. Smith and Friend eleventh in the preseason rankings. Smith and Hoyer all twenty second in the preseason rankings. But the aforementioned Sasha Rosen thirty sixth when partnered with Gustav Strom. If you have Rosenstrom, 
I would probably go Smith and Friend and then just put the weapons of Hoyer all at three with whomever. That is the outline of a doubles lineup already this season for Coach Shields to perhaps work with. Although, like most coaches, probably going to throw that to the trash can and just completely reinvigorate things for January because you got a lot of time in your hands in December and you do a lot of thinking about what doubles pairings might work best. I'm going to go with four singles for my MVP spot in this Arizona lineup. And the reason I'm going to say that number four spot is whoever that fourth guy is, Hoyerall, Strom, Friend, I think we are all very confident in saying it's not going to be Colton Smith. That fourth guy's got to put up numbers. Yeah, like that he's, fourth he's got to come out with like three, four losses on the year. <laughs> which is why that's got to be the MVP, right? It's like it's whomever that number four is because, again— they're going to be really good at all four spots. Like they should be winning over two thirds of their matches, regardless of the competition in all four spots. And by the way, in the 50, 50 spots, that combination on a lot of days, probably going to have to go three and one in those matches to do some heavy lifting. And then doubles five, six, you win one of those. You feel like if they're going to go three and one against those best teams, they're always going to have to be winning four, right? It's always going to have to be Hoyer all's weapons or, all the things Friend and Strom can do, just overwhelming whomever that opponent is at that number four spot. And even looking at the top lineups like Hoyerall versus Dietrich. Hoyerall has to win that match if if they're going to have any shot. And that's some projection, the Virginia freshman, for those that don't know. Hoyerall versus, I don't know who's going to play four. One of the Baileys, we'll say for now. If it's GA or PY, again, you feel like that's... Oh, come on. If GA plays four, I quit. <laughs> you don't think they're going to have the older brother higher than him? No. To start? Wow, well, I've had this, You know what? Save I've it for Texas. Save it for the Texas. Yeah, I've guy. had this debate with multiple people. Yeah. We'll save the, it. The Wildcats, by the way, lost to Texas twice last year. So they're like, we've had enough Texas talk as it relates to our program. Hoyerall versus Tracy, we'll say at four. Well, we've, you know, again, or Hoyerall versus Trotter. We saw that last year. That was six all in the third, one they had to have. I think it's that fourth spot. I think it's got to be that's where they separate themselves. And, you know, again, as we start to look at the ceiling and floor of this team, I actually think first in this moment, we should look at the conference because Pac-12 is fascinating this season. And we already addressed all things USC on our last show. But again, until you know Destanich is back, and even then, this USC team is going to be very good with Destanich. Not unequivocally separating themselves from the rest of the pack good, particularly given, again, over at Stanford, you've got this cast of new characters. And again, is Ferry coming back or not? Likely no, but the door is still open. Is Bosferetti coming back or not? I would say likely yes, but he's had some good pro results of late. And even beyond that, Basing, Kang, Hudson Rivera, and uh, Godzik, and uh all these different uh, Banerjee, I apologize for forgetting about you. Like that is a really good roster. That said, again, of those three teams, who I think are the pretty clear-cut top three in the Pac-12, even though Arizona State brings in the new recruit, which with Casone, with um, McKinnon, yeah, and all these things they have, that's that's a solid team. I'm not ready to put it in that top tier yet. But of those three top Pac-12 contenders, Chris, I think pretty like easily you make the case that Arizona's the most experienced. Oh, yeah. I mean, Stanford's young, for sure. Yeah. I mean, all the oh, – that's the big question mark with them. I mean, 
I will say that if Ferry comes back, obviously they've got experience with Ferry basing Basavaretti Banerjee from last year. Uh, but but they're going to be counting on freshmen with there's no doubt. Rivera, Kang, uh, Godsick, you know, those guys are gonna be uh they're going to be kept being counted on to, to produce points for them this year and they will be in the lineup. So yeah, Arizona clearly the most experienced team there. Uh, USC bringing in Waitman now, uh, you know, an, another, they're, they're going to be counting on a freshman in there. Uh, yeah, they're definitely the most experienced team. And that, you know, is going to mean something at some points there. Yeah. And they've got Stanford at home where they went undefeated last season. Keep that in mind. Now, I think they're going to be at USC because I see on what limited parts of their schedule they've released. They're at UCLA. Usually that's a paired weekend. You get Stanford. Like, again, this is a team that will be contending for the Pac-12 title. And I asked Chris this yesterday, but as it relates to the ceiling and floor discussion, which we can get to now. And by the way, well, I guess we should talk about that schedule first as well, because this impacts the ceiling floor, too. It's not a sure thing they're going to get through their kickoff weekend. Now, first, they'll face Miami, which is a roster that is a mess. Um, we can just be honest, and that's a discussion maybe for a different time. But you look at the Miami roster right now, there are seven players. And again, who fits where? It's an open question. I think they get through that one pretty comfortably. I'll tell you what. I think Baylor beats Tulane. But that Tulane squad's really good. Like, they bring back everyone from a team. They've got a lot of experience, too. That made the NCAA tournament. Baylor, I've talked about them already with Braysock getting eligible. They bring back just about everyone from last season. Veltz, Paralek, Miladinovich, Koenig. You know, the list goes on and on. it's, It's no sure thing for Arizona to get out of their kickoff weekend. And again, if you want to be a top eight seed, you just got to get to the national indoors. You got to get those three matches against top 15, 16 opponents, etc. I think right away, that's an early litmus test that will tell us how good is this Arizona team. If they do to Baylor what they did to, and it's not fair to equate these two teams, but like what they did to Oklahoma State round two last year, and they just show, no, 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 we are this good at home. That's an early message to the rest of the field. If they go indoors in New York and get a win or two, like, again, it's a message to the rest of the field early. I asked you this yesterday. Does every Power 5 conference champion make the top eight? Certainly the runway is there for Arizona, is it not, even if we don't see their schedule yet with their preseason number 15 position? Yeah, well, does every Power 5 get a yes? Because whether it's... Arizona, USC, or 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 Stanford, one of the, whoever wins that conference is, I think, is a top eight. But uh, but yeah, if they can if they can come out on the top of that group uh, because of the points they're going to get for presumably beating those teams, you know, barring the other teams not winning because they have some horrific losses along the way, um, Arizona's Dean, they would get great points for that. And yeah, they'll, they're most definitely uh, a top eight. I think that, and I think they've got to be, that's got to be their goal right now is, Hey, we want to, you know, we're looking for conference, whether it's regular season or conference tournament, you know, one of those titles and a top eight seed, I think, you know, trying to look beyond that is, is tough, but a top eight seed means you're hosting three rounds of the tournament. So And if they can do that, again, it's why the Pac-12 regular season conference tournament is that much more important with how good this team has been at home. Like, you're right. If they're a top eight seed, 
I mean, it speaks to let's get into the ceiling floor discussion then to end today's show. Is the ceiling just quarterfinals for you? Or do we have to put in an Arizona tax where it's like, hey, you should always notch it one round further than you think because this is the law when it comes to Arizona. They are way easier to beat on paper always than they are to actually beat in the match itself. Is it yeah, like, could well, they sneak into a semis if like everything clicks? I mean, again, it's tough because well, you just don't know who the six is. What's the scene like? Yeah, of course, anybody can beat anybody on on a given sure. day, right? You they could jump up and beat someone. So saying, what's the ceiling in from the NCAA tournament standpoint? Yeah, absolutely, they they could pull off you know an upset and and make a semi, if you will. Ranking wise, to me, the ceiling is six. Though the, you know okay. the top five are are just the top five, and I don't see you know their fifth you know questionable depending on some things that happen, but. But yeah, I think that five six mark is is the ceiling ranking wise, and and the floor. Same discussion we had to me with uh, with Columbia is, yeah, uh, the the floor for this team shouldn't be much lower than sixteen. But anything happens, one guy, you know, they are deep, but one of those top top three go down. And all of a sudden, we're looking at a 20 to 25 floor for them. Uh, So it's a critical, critical that they, to your point, critical that they beat the Baylor Tulane winner and make it to New York for indoors and have an opportunity to pick up a valuable win there. Um, But yeah, you know, that Pac-12, what they, the other thing they need, they need Arizona State to be better now that they've picked up Bohr and and have another another guy in the lineup. They need USC to be good, whether that's with or without Steph, because, you know, once you get to the bottom half of that conference now, it's there's probably not going to be a lot of valuable points to pick up. Utah losing a bunch of guys, Oregon, Washington again. Yeah, there are some points to be desired, certainly, and that's why I'm looking forward to seeing the Arizona schedule when it comes out. Yeah, I mean, the floor should be top six. Like, again, I think this team is going to beat Stanford in the regular season in Tucson. Like, that is my bold take, I suppose, coming out of this Arizona podcast. If you're going to take one bold thing away from you. Like, I dis- again, I disagree with your assessment. I think there's a clear-cut top three, then a clear-cut four. And then anything after four is up for grabs. Like I would, you can paint me in any scenario of this team's going to end up with the number five ranking in the country at the end of the year. And there's a, about 20 teams you could talk me into in that five spot before I'd start laughing at you. I think this team has to be in that consideration. Like again, they're just, they're gritty. And if I'm saying a goal for this team, particularly given again, Strom, Hoyer, all our seniors, the goal is make the quarterfinals. The goal is make the final site. The goal is to do something that you have never done in program history this season. And I do think fundamentally, again, if that's the goal of every program, to continue to push for new heights, Arizona is in a position to do that this season. Now, again, there is some urgency. Two of your big four, they're seniors this year, and you made the case perfectly. If one of those, you said top three, I'd even say top four go down. And now, like, Lagayev at four is not the concern. It's the replacement value of five and six of those two go in, where now you have a couple of questions in the singles lineup, or at least unfamiliarity if you're an Arizona fan. I mean, again, this is Nick Gruskin's team. 
So they also have that blessing as well, the burden, but also a blessing. And Nick Ruskin knows ball, Chris. That's been one of the themes of the past two years since we've allowed him to enter our Crack Rackets community quarterfinals like this is the year if Arizona is going to make the quarterfinals this is the year I think that's the goal on the bulletin board is we you want to see them in Stillwater if you're a Wildcat fan oh uh, yeah absolutely I, I think that has to be the goal I also think that I need to go hang out with Nick Gruskin because clearly if this is his team Nick likes to go out to the bar and just hope there's a bar fight <laughs> he's the guy that sits back and go oh it's gonna happen right there we're gonna have that's the there's a there's a fight coming well really, that's what, these guys are scrappers right every match is a fight i'm glad you said that because once we were talking about a hypothetical scenario you know the running back derrick henry yeah so let me ask you this it's me my older brother and my younger brother you've seen the holiday card you know our builds you know what we look like um looking forward to that christmas card this year yeah we're doing an you know the oklahoma drill in football Oh, yeah. So it's the three of us versus Derrick Henry in the Oklahoma drill. Can we tackle him? Absolutely not. That's exactly it as well. So we then pose the same hypothetical with uh, three of our really good friends who are all brothers as well. And the oldest brother, David Baduni, put it perfectly of why he would refuse to do this with the three of us. He'd go, <laughs> Alex, here's the thing. Like, we'd all agree to do it. And then we'd step on the field, and you, Eric, and Nick, the moment we started, would just be laughing together in a corner as us three just get demolished by Derrick Henry. <laughs> and I was like, I was dying with laughs. I was like, that's exactly what we would be doing, is we would be laughing really hard and giggling with one another as we were like, you idiots, you thought you could do this? I'm also like, again, I say this with love, affection, and not to make light of this fact. I'm convinced the best way, like, how would my dad die is doing that. Like, Oklahoma drill with Derrick Henry would kill him. Like, that would be how he dies. And I'm not saying, like, I want him to live forever, ideally. But, like, in the list of ways a human has died, that would be a top three. I'm just saying. I just throw it out. That's one of my bits I do nowadays, Chris. Um, yeah. Me, you, Dalton, Westoff, Jay, Stokowiak. Sheer force of will. Do we win? Because no, there's no chance... Derrick Henry gets to get up and get three steps toward you. Like if we could start with a grasp on him, sure, we could trip him. Otherwise, no, he's knocking us all over to like kingdom come. The entire Arizona <laughs> roster. Can Arizona oh. get him down? Oh, yeah. Those. Yeah. Yes. Dude, Hoyer all versus him in the, in the hole. Yeah. Like that's a collision. And like, yeah. again, this speaks to Arizona's toughness. They would not have any gigglers. Like, even thinking about the Cracked Rackets episode uh, against Derrick he, Henry, I would be dying with laughter watching him hit you. Like, yeah. the moment he hit you, it's <laughs> over for me. Because to watch your limbs go flying in these different directions, again, assuming you'd be okay. I always say it would take about 13 clones of me to do it, and I'd have to have a discussion with clones one through nine to be like, look, you guys are dead after this. Like, your body is just like, your brain is broken. Like, you're alive, but you're going to be in tubes. Like, four Gruskins, we have to do this. Like, we are the winners. Like, we have to get them down. Um, And so I would say that would be the ratio. Anyways, that's this Arizona team. They are. Would you say this Arizona team, the best equivalent is like facing Derrick Henry in an Oklahoma drill? Is yeah, that a good it, compliment? That's, that's a good, good, a good analogy. Yeah, they are. They are fighters. They are tough. They are physical. And uh, yeah, it's fun to watch. Let me ask you this: Clancy Shields versus Derrick Henry in the hole. That's a collision. That's like because. 
and I say this again with love. Clancy's got that dog in him. Like yeah. he would be like, we're f- doing this. I was going to say, the thing is Clancy thinks he could do it. Yeah. In the end, there's no chance, but, but he's all in. <laughs> I, it would take 17 Gruskins, but only two shields. Like yeah. Clancy and Luke would be like, we're doing this. Like, yeah. and they look at each other like, I'm not quitting. So you can't yeah. quit. And they'd just be like, oh, I'm not quitting. Oh, I would watch that. I just watched, you know, and let the record show that analogy unplanned. Like sometimes yeah. it just works out beautifully, Chris. I want to tell you a stupid story. And that stupid story turns into an analogy for this Arizona Wildcats team, who again ends number eight, tied for eighth in our Cracked Rackets preseason poll. A team all of us are looking forward to watching compete starting in January. With that said, though, that'll do it for our preview podcast. Now, again, Chris and I are going to be on Tuesdays and Thursdays here, breaking down teams on the Great Shot podcast feed. Wednesdays, Fridays, it'll be my dear friend John J. Parsons joining me to break down top 10 women's teams. For what it's worth, Chris, I believe as of this recording, we've talked about number 10, Florida, number 9, Texas. We've recorded beyond that, but I'm curious. Any thoughts you'd like to throw in about those teams or any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I am actually looking forward to seeing the uh, or, or hearing the the women's breakdown because yeah, it's a it's a little different. I mean, Texas has been a stalwart, uh, you know, in recent years, and uh, yeah, and some change of scenery there in, in Florida. It's a uh, it's interesting on on both sides. I think we've got a lot of you know, again, it's it's the same story for for the men and the women. The COVID years are gone. Things are a little different now. Uh, it's a uh, it's going to be an interesting season. Yeah, no, it's I and I've said this, and I want your opinion. Jay and I have talked about this, and this is not meant to be disrespectful to Arizona, but it's to inform men's tennis fans who might not hear this on a women's show because you wouldn't otherwise be inclined to listen. As good as we've talked about the depth of being on the men's side, I think the depth is better on the women's side. I think you still have more fifth-year COVID players in the women's side than you do on the men's side right now, and like. Just like the team that's ranked seventh, uh, even like eighth, seventeenth, whatever bracket you want to do, the women's equivalent will be better this year. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, there is there, there is more. I, I think you have more chance for parity, if you will. Uh, on the, they're they're just a the number of teams that are at that level on the men's side are are very few and I think it, and it drops off a little quicker and I, you're right. There's probably more, more depth on the women's side. Yeah. Like you look at, Oh, I don't want to spoil. I was going to say a team that we left out of our women's top 10. I was like, I don't want to give away that we left them out of our women's top 10 yet. So yes, all of that is to say, we got a lot of fun preview podcasts ahead. We hope you stick with us. A thank you to Chris Heliors as always for joining us. And a thank you to our super producer, Daniel Westoff. What sort of a job does he have to do, Chris? of an editing job Ah, day in day out making all of it possible so a shout out to him as always for the work he does with that said again chris and i will be back next week jay and i will be back tomorrow for now for the fantastic chris halioris our super producer daniel westoff and everyone who contributes here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin chris what do we tell our listeners hey great shot and we will see you all next time thanks everyone 